Welcome to the Food and Feelings What's Eating You podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Scott, founder of Tracy's Gourmet Specialty Foods Company and the loser of 115 pounds. I created this podcast after years of being asked how I lost the weight and what caused me to weigh over 250 pounds. This podcast will uproot the truth about how food and emotions are connected, how food and weight impacts our sense of well-being and identity, and how we use food during life changes and its impact on our thoughts and behaviors. My goal is to serve and support you as we change our relationships with food and discuss alternatives to addressing our emotions in a non-food way. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with someone who I have admired for quite a while through an organization called the North Carolina Alliance for Health. Morgan Whitman Graman is the executive director of the North Carolina Alliance for Health, an independent, nonpartisan, statewide coalition that convenes, mobilizes, supports, and empowers partners to advance equitable policies that reduce health disparities prevent chronic disease, and promote health. Passionate about community health and policy change, her health advocacy work to the areas of healthy food access and active living has been one she has been known for. Morgan has been an advocate for health and public health since 2006. She got her start in the tobacco use prevention movement. Since joining NCAH, Morgan has had the pleasure of expanding her health advocacy work to the areas of healthy food access and active living. Morgan earned her JD from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Law and her BA in Anthropology from the American University in Washington, D.C. Morgan, as you know, I'm a fan, and I told you earlier that I was so excited when I was able to get this interview with you. So how are you doing? I'm doing well, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And you're a member of the North Carolina Alliance for Health, so thank you for being such a wonderful partner to us. We appreciate that as well. Oh, you're welcome. When I found you all, it was actually through a farmer's market. I was talking with a woman in uh, North Raleigh. We were at the farmer's market out there off the Capitol Boulevard, and she was talking to me about Uh, food equity and, you know, just the difference in the quality of food and the benefits of being at farmer's market. And she mentioned the North Carolina Alliance for Health to me, and I asked her, what is that? And that's how I found you because so many people who I have met who are connected to NCAH are very much advocates for health, healthy foods, and health equity. So for me, it's been just a blessing to be connected to and learn and support the organization. Well, we appreciate that, and I think that that is one of my favorite things about working in the food access arena is that it really does bring people together, and um, there are so many wonderful people working on, on this issue in North Carolina, so it's great. So I am, again, excited to get you, get this interview with you. Um, I have a few questions, and so many of the questions that I have ha- I had in my mind, I knew I had to eliminate because this would have been a two-hour interview, um, but I sent a few. <laughs> I, I tried to limit myself because I didn't want to overwhelm you. So I sent, I sent you a few, and um, I said, well, let's see if I can get answers to these four, and then maybe I can interview her another day in the future, but I won't overwhelm her now and then scare her off. So the first question that I have is, what is the North Carolina Alliance for Health? 
Yeah, so you already kind of covered our official um, kind of background and mission, but what that means in reality is that we're a group of people in North Carolina that care about health, that care about health equity, and want to create um, policy change. And so we work on state-level policies that um, reduce health disparities and prevent chronic disease and everything from um, tobacco use prevention policies to healthy eating to active living to access to care um, and even branching into things like affordable housing because we know that, you know, looking at all of the social determinants and if we're, we're really going to be addressing health equity, then we have to address health in all policies and all places. Well, so I didn't know, um, and I, I read every email that I receive, and I'm always reading the literature, but I didn't know you all were transitioning into housing. And the reason I say that is because I've seen a lot of housing disparities coming up throughout North Carolina. You know, we're one of the top, what is it, top five places to live in the country, and mortgage and rent has gone up. So what what made you all start entering that area? I'm just curious. Yeah, again, so, you know, we know that if people don't have a healthy, safe place to live, then their That's health, true. you know, in yeah. all areas is going to suffer. Um, and so, you know, when we're, when we're talking about affordable and safe housing, we're talking about things like making sure that it's smoke and tobacco free, right? Um, making sure that oh, okay. housing is, has, um, that there's access to healthy food retail venues to purchase food, that there are safe streets, um, and, that, and that it's affordable, you know, healthy housing. So, um, you know, I think all of these things are so interconnected, um, and, and we want to, we really work to, to address holistic policies as much as possible. That, that, that's something that I really like about you all. Um, I remember attending one of the conference meetings, I think it was two years ago, and everything we did was from a holistic perspective. Um, you all put us into small groups, and each one of the groups had a, you know, the goal was look at this from its effect on the family not just the individual, but the effects and the benefits mm -hmm. on the family. And so, I mean, I didn't know about the housing um, direction, which is really good because you can eat healthy and well all day, but if you don't have some place to live, it kind of hurts you on that end. So that, that's really mm -hmm. good. Um, so another question I have is how are food deserts in communities of color specifically being addressed by the NCAH? Right. So, um, food deserts are a huge problem in North Carolina. North Carolina is actually 10th in the nation for food insecurity, which means that um, a lot of our, our residents don't have access to healthy, affordable food, right? And um, Feeding America now estimates that about 30% of North Carolina children are food insecure, and many wow. of those children are children that live in communities of color. Um, and in oh. fact, food insecurity is twice as prevalent in households that are led by a person of color than households that are led by a white person. So that is something that, you know, every day as we're, as we're working on these policies, we're seeking to address those disparities, right? Um, and so we're, we're working on a number of initiatives around food insecurity in North Carolina, um, and specifically food insecurity in communities of color. For instance, in 2018, we convened the Healthy Food Retail Task Force, which worked with community and state partners to put forth policy recommendations for address addressing 
um, lack of access to healthy food retail in our state. And we made, ended up making eight policy recommendations, and we're now convening the North Carolina Healthy Food Access Task Force that's charged with kind of fleshing out those recommendations and mm -hmm. um, figuring out the, the policies that are going to follow, right? And so there are things like workforce development, community programs, increasing that's access good. to SNAP and WIC, um, you know, all things that we know are factors that impact food access and specifically in communities of color. Um, and I also wanted to mention, Tracy, something that just happened yesterday, which we're so excited about, um, is that we, we've been working for the past few years to address um, school nutrition programs and making sure that students have access to food in schools because we know that a number of our students in North Carolina rely on school meals for their primary source of nutrition. So it's really important that they're able to eat at school. Um, and just yesterday, House Bill 1023 passed unanimously in the General Assembly, and that bill, uh, among other things, eliminated the reduced price lunch copay in North Carolina. So that means wow. that um, so That's many students great. who qualify, yeah, um, so any That's student who great. qualifies for reduced price lunch will, um, will receive a free lunch now. And, you know, there are mm -hmm. more than 900,000 students in North Carolina who qualify for free and reduced price meals, and many of those students are students of color. So we really feel like this is going to address, um, address food insecurity and make sure that, you know, those students aren't accruing lunch debt and that they have access to nutritional um, to meals at, at school. So we're really excited about that. And um, I, I think something that's really critical in our work is that we, we try and work with a variety of partners at all levels, local, community, state, national, um, and and we just really appreciate your partnership and the partnership of all of our all of our members and partners. Um, and we we feel like we're really taking important steps into increasing access to food for all North Carolinians. Um, but especially our neighbors of color who we know face systemic barriers to health and are more likely to um, face hunger and food insecurity. I tell you, that, that's huge. <laughs> you know, um, that is huge because I am, you know, I was an English teacher, language arts teacher for five years in Durham, Allen County, and I tell you, one of the things that I could never understand is how does a child on free lunch walk away with free lunch day? That's just yep. an oxymoron, yeah. isn't it? That doesn't even make yeah. sense. How, how do you write that on paper? So that is awesome. Wow. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's really exciting and a, a step in the right direction for sure. So, and we, we think it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact a lot of people in a really positive way. Yeah, I mean, I know people who they ended up at the end of the year um, trying to do GoFundMe um, and through the church, pay off their school lunch debt. I mean, you know, we, we took care of it. We helped them, but we were all confused. How in the world do you have a debt behind free lunch, the free lunch program? That just doesn't make sense. I mean, I get it, you know, from a mathematical number business perspective, but, no, that is, that's some really good work, Morgan. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah, I think – I, I think eliminating that copay. Um, I, I mean, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Churches shouldn't have to create fundraisers for <laughs> to be able to eat, right? Like there's it's something crazy. very backwards about that. Um, so we're really grateful to the General Assembly for providing this this funding to eliminate that copay. Um, and nice. and and churches can now use that those fundraisers for other things, right? That are also uh, essential. So. <laughs> 
No, well, I, you know, I didn't even know that. So I'm trying to temper my excitement here a little bit. Um, <laughs> so another question I have is, can you share why tobacco prevention and obesity prevention policy work has been a focus for the North Carolina Alliance for Health? Because I know you all could have picked so many other areas, but why those two? Yeah, so we were started in 2002 originally to increase the tobacco tax and then moved into the smoke-free bars and restaurants law and a number of other tobacco use prevention um, initiatives and then um, expanded our mission to include healthy food access and active living in around 2008 or so. And, and we chose these areas because there are areas of health where there are incredible disparities and we really wanted to address address those. For instance, um, although black Americans smoke fewer cigarettes and start smoking cigarettes at an older age, they're more mm -hmm. likely to die from smoking-related diseases than white Americans are. Um, and we also know that tobacco companies target and advertise to black communities like, more heavily than white communities. It's, it's not even close. Um, and, and this is true in North Carolina and across the country. Um, you know, for active living, we know that, you know, going back to talking about children, um, we know that black children are more likely to be obese than their white counterparts, and they're also more likely to live in neighborhoods that lack sidewalks and parks, that have more crime and traffic, so they're not able to be physically active outside in a safe environment. Um, and we also know that those children are more likely to attend schools that have limited resources to provide physical activity and physical education during the school day. So, you know, at wow. home and at school, they're really just aren't, aren't getting access to opportunities to safely be physically active. So we really wanted to, to figure out how to address that, um, that disparity. And then, you know, we've already kind of discussed um, the food insecurity issue, but obviously there are a lot of disparities there as well. Um, and, you know, I feel like this sounds so dire, like there's so many disparities everything is awful um and that, that's that's not i mean things things are not great for a lot of people right um, right and they, that's they just the truth be a i mean lot better. i um, agree with you <laughs> yeah yeah um but i also think that there are some real policy solutions that can improve and address some of these disparities um things like banning menthol um complete street right. policy so this idea that you're developing neighborhoods that have safe places to be active, right? Um, right? Universal school meals. I think all of these can address these disparities and improve health. Um, and, and we as a coalition and the North Carolina Alliance for Health, we're committed to doing that and, um, you know, making sure that the policies that we're moving forward are addressing these disparities and the social determinants of health and um, just moving a step closer to achieving health equity. And, you know, honestly, I was not aware of the necessity for policy work when it comes to social change. Uh, for a long time, you know, I've always voted. You know, my family was very big on voting. And so I knew the importance of voting. But I really didn't know that I could have a voice or, or support policy change because oftentimes People, I'll just speak generally, I'll say myself, you look at policy change as something that, oh, that's untouchable. You know, you're an attorney, so you know the law, you know policy. But for someone who's not an attorney, you know, we don't think in a lot of cases we can impact policy and policy work. And that's what I've always appreciated about the NCAH. It actually educated me on our 
power as voters and just as citizens to impact policies because that's where the real change happens. You know, can we get in those rooms and can we have some type of voice to change policies that will help people socially, you know, to just live better and have better lives. So that that that's really good just to learn and know, you know, because it's not easy work either. I mean, that's one thing I do <laughs> know. Not, Policy not, work yeah. is not – you talk about being able to move be, move between groups and people and ideas and and just, I guess, civilly disagree but still come to agreement. That That's a skill. I mean, you do it very well, but it's it's a skill that you really have to have to make progress. So again, it, for me, it's just been great to, you know, to talk to you because I know that's the work that you do. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and thank you, Tracy, for bringing that up because I think that that's something we're trying to address too, right? Like a policy change is so important for breaking down, um, you know, systemic barriers and structural mm-hmm. racism and, all, you know, all of these fancy terms that basically mean, um, some people aren't being treated the same, right? And you really right. have to address that with policy. Um, right. And I think that, I mean, to your point, a lot of people, um, they, they feel the same way. They think policy is scary and they don't know how to reach out to their legislators or figure out who their legislators are. Um, and, um, or they might work for an organization that, um, where they think they can't be advocates for whatever reason, whether they're working for the state or, you know, right. something like that, um, or a nonprofit. Um, but we really do try and educate people about how to be advocates and be advocates for their own health, too. I mean, I know you're, I mean, you do this every day, right, uh, with, with all of the changes that you've made and now teaching other people about what you've been through and how you made those changes. And um, I think it's so important. And, you know, when, I started doing this work when I was a teenager, and I used to say to other teenagers that um, we advocate every day. You just don't think wow. about it, right? Like, I advocate that I want to stay out later, past my curfew, right? Like, that's advocating. And I think yeah. when you kind of phrase it like that, you can break it down for people. Um, and, you know, legislators so are good. just people. They're just people. And um, and they work for you. And I think that it's really important that people understand that they can and should tell legislators about the issues that matter to them. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're really trying to increase our training so that we can help empower people to feel like they have the skills and the tools necessary to go and be advocates uh, for themselves and for their communities. So I'm really, I really appreciate that you brought that up. Yeah, that, I mean, that's so good. You know, we do advocate every day. You either advocate in a way that's positive or a way that's not positive, and you just kind of have to make that choice. But definitely being educated on, you know, educated and empowered. I think that's where a lot of us are sitting right now. We don't mm-hmm. we don't know how to be educated on those areas, and we're trying to be empowered. But, you know, that's why I'm so glad I get to talk to you because, I'm learning, you know, I know some things, but I'm still learning. And um, policy work, like I've said, it's not easy work. So the fact that you do it every day is, it's hard work. Thank you. Um, I have one more question, and this will be it. (laughs) How does the NCAH define and address health equity? How do you, how do you, I hear the phrase, I hear the term a lot, but I don't, 
really know how to define it, and it seems people define it differently. Yeah, um, people, I think there are various different definitions. Um, we tend to use the definition when we talk about health equity, when we, we mean that everyone has the opportunity to attain their highest level of health, whatever that looks like for them, um, right? And, and we, we really strive, and I'm not going to say we're perfect because we are certainly not, but we're trying, um, but we, we strive to ensure that the policies that we advance and the impacts that our policies have and even the campaigns that we you know, used to move those policies forward or equitable. Um, you know, we try to seek community input on all of our policies and our campaigns, and specifically input from the communities that are going to be most impacted by those policies um, and are most impacted by the, the, the things that the policies seek to address, right, um, those mm -hmm. disparities. And um, we're, we're always discussing ways to improve, and, um, you know, I think, um, we're, we're working with partners to figure out how we can ensure that equity is really ingrained in everything that we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're talking about, you know, offering equity training to our staff board and partners. Um, and then, but I think more specifically, just putting measures in place to continuously make sure that we're kind of checking in and that we're really living up to our mission, you know, and, and calling ourselves out. Are there ways in which we're perpetuating prejudice? And how do, we, how do we not do that, right? Um, right. How do we not play into this, this system and the systemic racism that has, um, you know, been built up over the past hundreds of, you know, 400 years? Um, and, and just, um, you know, continuing to read and learn and advocate and try and grow and be better and have this conversation, um, even when it's uncomfortable, um, and um, really just try to make sure that, we're doing things in the most equitable way possible and addressing the, the disparities that we really seek to address. Um, so, and, you know, I, I welcome anyone who's interested in this, in going on this journey with us or becoming an advocate or talking about these issues. Um, I'm happy to have a conversation and we'd love to have you join our, our coalition. Um, and so you can reach out to us on our website. And oh, that'd be great. Yeah, so ncalliancefourhealth.org, um, or you can contact me directly at morgan at ncalliancefourhealth.org, or um, I don't want to put you on the spot, Tracy, but I'm sure if people reach out to you, you'll be able to connect them as well. Oh, so, definitely. Um, definitely. Yeah, we, you know, we, um, we are open to everyone, um, anyone who believes in health and health equity um, and wants to, um, to advocate for, for health and for health equity, we we welcome you um, to join us. So, and you know, it's so interesting. I I didn't even mention you know our whole COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah, and which yeah. is so good because even before COVID, this is the work you all were already doing. You mm -hmm. all were already focused on the health and health equity of the state. And so, I, I don't know, I just thought about COVID and how, you know, they've identified that certain populations, particularly, you know, black populations are um, suffering from it more than others. And so, it just dawned on me that that goes back to the work that you all have always been doing. And I really do appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. Um, thank you, Morgan, so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and, and just, you know, briefly on on the COVID issue, I think that, COVID is highlighting disparities that already existed. Right? Exactly. Like these disparities, exactly. these things are not new. 
Right, they're not new. It's not, but it's it's not new. It's like all of a sudden people are realizing that there are health disparities, and I think a lot of the advocates that have been working in this area are like, uh, yeah, welcome, hello, welcome. We're here, we're talking about this, you know, um, and um, you know, and, and and when you're looking at how COVID is impacting communities of color. It's because of access to care. It's yeah. because of rates of tobacco use. It's because yeah. of um, lack of access to healthy food and physical activity. Like, it's because of all of these things that have been problems for years and yeah. um, have been just, you know, so um, I, I, COVID isn't, I, it's not telling us anything we didn't already know, I don't think. I think it's just highlighting it for people who haven't necessarily been part of this conversation, which um, I hope that now they'll they'll join it because um, I think um, it's in, it's an important conversation to be having for sure. So the word that has been been pressing on me, which has been the umbrella word for me during all of this, has been exposure. Um, I heard someone talk about that is what's happening. Expo- now she said this three months ago, and she said that. Everything that is happening is exposing what has been broken in our society. And you nailed it. You know, welcome. We've always been, you know, this is not new. That's absolutely you right. Yep. Know. <laughs> it's just been exposed <laughs> to you. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what it, what it is. Yeah. Yep. No. Thank you, Morgan. I, I like I said, I know you are a busy woman. You know, just like you told me, you were up late last night. <laughs> you know, doing the work with the General Assembly. So I will certainly not hold you anymore. But I am gonna ask if I could talk to you again in the future because this was really good. This was so so helpful. Thank you so much, Tracy, for having me. And I would be happy to come back and talk as much as you want about these issues because, again, I think that they're so important. Um, and I've been doing this work for so long, and I'm just so passionate about it that I, I love talking about it and thinking about um, ways that we can do this work better. So just thank you for having me and for this conversation um, and for everything that you do as well. I talk about a busy oh, moment. Thank um, you. you. You are. So um, we appreciate your <laughs> partnership, and I, I look forward to talking with you again soon. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks, Tracy. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.